All right, Josh Smith here. We're at my studio, live from Flat Five. And uh, my guest today is one of my favorite guitar players in the world and a good friend. He's coming to us live from Nashville, but he's from the Panhandle in Florida. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. He's an incredible guitar player, played with lots of great dudes, does sessions all the time. And if you're not familiar, you need to check out his work. I'll have all his links. But everybody, welcome Guthrie Trap, man. What's happening, bro? Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for that, that um, more than uh, deserved introduction. <laughs> no, nah, dude, the first time I saw you play, I was floored. You know, I walked into Roberts, obviously, and saw you playing with Don. And, man, just unbelievable playing. And, you know, I'm, you know, even though I'm a blues guy, I have such a big part in, in my heart, a soft spot for, you know, guys that play the style that, that you play, even though you play everything. But, man, you were just burning that night, made a fan for life. And then, you know, oh. it's, it's been great to, to get to be friends and get to hang out some and do some picking. So, dude, you, dude, fantastic. Man, thanks so much for saying that. I, and the feeling is, is very mutual. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm looking, really looking forward to this next hour or however long we're going to be on here. But, um, man, I, you know, in a way, not in a way, I, I feel this way is I feel like me and you were kind of cut from the same cloth. You know, I mean, you know, you're a fantastic country player. You're, you know, just all around good well-rounded musician that's inspired by i feel a lot of different styles of music you know yeah i mean i don't know if it has to do with you know being from florida or you know we're how old are you guthrie i'm 40 41 yeah so we're, we're pretty much the same age uh we have you know i know your parents listen to a lot of music i think your parents were musicians mine weren't but I don't know if you know. my parents were not, but my dad's youngest brother was a self-taught musician and we were around it a lot, family and stuff. I mean, uh, friends of the family and all that, you know, but I feel like we came, both came up. I know you probably had a huge diverse amount of music being played in your house. And mm -hmm. that was, that was the big difference for me. My, my family loved everything. And not only yeah. that, we listened 24 hours a day. So I was right. just hearing music all the time. So I never differentiated between, oh, yeah, okay, the first thing that grabbed me was B.B. King and Albert King. But it felt the same to me as when I heard the Allman Brothers or when I heard the Rolling Stones or then when I heard Miles Davis or Thelonious Monk or something. It was all just, man, this is great. It was all the same. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and you know, um, that's, kind of, that's kind of, you know, the way that I think, you know, exactly what you're saying. I, I, at 41, I've kind of, at this point, I go, Man, it all comes down to, to, uh, to the music. I mean, is it, is it, you know, who said it? There's two kinds of music, good and bad. Well, yeah, yeah. that's a pretty, you know, broad view, but, but it's kind of true. I mean, it either moves you or it doesn't. And I remember getting those feelings of, you know, chills and stuff when I heard certain stuff live. And, and when I was a kid, my parents were taking me to a lot of festivals and there was a lot of picking parties where guys would get together in the, these gatherings with, with party and would, would would but they all revolved around music even if people were doing drugs and drinking yeah you know it, it all revolved around music it wasn't just people you know flaking around you know and so we'd go to these we'd go to these parties and people would be playing bluegrass and irish music and singing songs and and so i was around it from an early age and i think that has a lot to do with just developing your ear and and knowing what stuff is supposed to feel like um, as a, as a, when you're around it as a kid, even before you put your hands on an instrument, you kind of have an idea of what this stuff is supposed to sound and kind of feel like. And, and, you know, the, the, the interesting thing, and then I'll stop talking for a minute, but 
the interesting thing and the kind of thing I'm looking back on more and more as I get a little older is I wasn't, I didn't grow up playing any cover songs. I always played with songwriters and played bluegrass tunes and stuff like that. And, and still jammed on the electric guitar to, you know, some Almond Brothers records and um, not a lot of jazz. I, I had one uncle that was into some jazz, but I didn't really understand it that young. And before, you know, it took a while for my ear to develop into that stuff. But, you know, um, a lot of great songwriters, Bob Dylan, Jackson Brown, Van Morrison, and then, you know, Tony Rice, Sam Bush, Bela Fleck on the mm -hmm. bluegrass side, Jerry Douglas, Mark O'Connor, all the new acoustic stuff, David Grisman, all that kind of stuff. And so as most people would pick up the guitar and learn Beatles songs or Led Zeppelin songs or, or classic rock songs, I never did that. I still to this day don't know any I don't know any cover songs. And so uh, until I played with Don Kelly at Roberts when I was 20, sorry, with, when I was like 22, then I started playing some cover songs. But on the Gulf Coast, I was really lucky to play with songwriters. And that, for good or bad, that's how it was, you know. And so I don't know any of those riffs, and I'm not a good rock and roll player. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, but that's just kind of how it was. And I, I'm, I'm proud of it now, you know. Well, it's interesting because it, it probably helped you develop your voice much quicker because, you know, you were you were just always supporting somebody else and learning how to find your role in, in any situation, in an ensemble, in a, in a duo, in a whatever. You, you had to find a role and, and find your own way to do it, and you weren't relying on, you know, the fact that this was a pre-existing song with a part that you needed to learn or something like that. It was good preparation for being a session musician. It was, but I, and it was... And, but it, it also, I think, hurt me a little bit because I, I didn't become such a chameleon. Okay, you know, yeah. if, if I would have learned more, you know, okay, this is this style, you know, to be, you know, to be a, you know, one of the guys that's working, you know, like I'm not a career session guy. I get called for some sessions on, you know, electric guitar, acoustic and mandolin and stuff here in Nashville. And I've been lucky to work with some amazing people, but that path has kind of always taken me. I never had a plan, really. I just saw. I kind of saw out in, out in front some people's careers that I thought would be cool to maybe emulate or end up there. But I just always wanted to play good music with good people. And I've always just gone where the work was. And so I didn't kind of, I didn't really have a plan, you know, I just kind of, you know, saw something kind of out in the, out in the future, distant future and kind of ended up there luckily, but yeah. you know, there well, was no, there was never any hard, fast uh, rules or, or, or anything like that, you know? Well, in that way, we're, we're similar in that when I moved to L.A., I'd never done any sessions. I'd only done my own music or, you know, original things. And so I didn't know what it took to be a session guy. And I, so I dove in and did the research and became a much better session guitar player. But I am also not a career session guy, even though there's been years where that's where I've made my living. Right. Um, the, the sessions that I get called for are normally people hiring me because I sound like me and not exactly. because I come in and be the chameleon like you just said. Not that right. I can't maybe do the job, but I don't, that's not my best skill. And I think, yeah, you're right, it helps us and it hurts us to some degree. Exactly. I, I feel like I'm in the, in the same boat. But, and, but that, and also some of my stubbornness of, you know, not listening to any radio when I was growing up, I, I never, I don't really enjoy, um, uh, commercial country music and trust me I understand that everybody's making a living and man I support it more than anything if you can find a way to make a good living in the music business man I am not knocking you at all but personal taste is the things that Nashville is known for on uh, TV and the, and the radio if you don't live here 
and you're seeing kind of the underbelly of, of the guys that I feel like are the most talented people here, you're not going to see those guys on the radio or TV. You might hear their songs or hear they're playing on some records, but the artists and the music these days, I'm not a fan of. And, and the reason why I don't play on those records is because I'm not good at it. I think you're going to be good at the things you really enjoy doing, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. All right. So you, you mentioned your uncle was a musician. Did he put the guitar in your hand the first time? Well, uh, pr probably. I don't remember back then. The first thing I, I remember is, is, you know, all the music around family and friends. And then uh, when, when my uncle, you know, I started playing with my uncle around six or seven years old. I started playing the blues harmonica. Right? <laughs> and thank God be I, everybody's best friend <laughs> yeah 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 and so <laughs> I, I quickly put that down because I could only play in one key and I was terrible at it you know but that was the first thing that I started doing and so uh, then as my my uncle and his buddies would would play around the house and I would I would pick up their guitars when they would take a break right okay. and so uh, they probably took a break to go smoke some pot or something or Right. refill the cooler or whatever. And I'd pick up the, you know, guitars that were sitting around and, and, and started picking out the same blues notes that I would play on the harmonica on the guitar. Okay. And that was kind of the first thing. I, and then if eventually my uncle told me that he goes, look, you know, you, you found some lead stuff and some pentatonic kind of playing, but you need to learn some chords, you know? <laughs> so I never learned any chords until I was probably, you know, closer to, nine or ten years old or, or something okay. i don't know but but uh so there was a little electric guitar going on in the background and then but a lot of it was spent uh playing acoustic guitar where i learned uh you know a lot of listening to a lot of tony rice stuff and a lot of straight up bluegrass and um and you know when i was struggling i was i'd go sitting with these bands and I actually had a gig when i was 12 i played the mandolin with this band down there every wednesday night would go out to pensacola beach and play at this Mexican restaurant, you know, just a classic young, young first gig. And so I could play on the guitar. I could get around a little bit, but I was really stuck on the first four or five frets playing open string kind of bluegrass style. And I could solo up a little bit on the higher strings pentatonically, but I was still struggling with how to play over chord changes. And, and okay, I could hear, man, you need to learn how to play over these changes, but I couldn't figure it out. I was just learning at that point. And so, the the video that I learned back then we were watching all the VHS tapes right yeah, Tony yeah. Wright, Sam Bush mandolin Danny Gatton I know you oh, you know yeah. we have that in common where I learned a lot off that first video he did yeah. and uh, kind of learned you know the way of of kind of um, you know I don't know any th you know music theory or anything like that so to speak but kind of learned okay if you know if you're playing in an A dominant seven, you can kind of look at E minor seven and, 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 and some other, you know, G major seven to get you out of the box. You know, it's kind of like he said, his hillbilly jazz way of looking at playing the guitar. Right. That really changed my life. But before that was Pat Flynn who played guitar with Newgrass Revival. He's a great guitar player and, and songwriter here from California, but been in Nashville for a long time. His video preached what we now call the caged system. And so, he said, look, if you really want to learn your, your way up the neck comfortably on the guitar, you have to learn all your major chord shapes and the scales and arpeggios around them. And so when I dug into that and really got into that, that changed my whole, my whole life because I kind of saw it then around the chords and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, okay, so then you're working hard. I mean, you probably played, what, 
hours and hours every day, like all of hours, us. Did. Hours and hours a day. Yeah, I didn't really. I wasn't really great in school. I skipped a lot of school, and I quit high school two weeks into the tenth grade. Me and my buddy just walked out the front door, wow. and, and I never went to college. Never went back to high school. You know, I got a GED floating around here somewhere. I don't even know where it is. But right, right. Anyway, I wasn't really good. So yeah, I, I played a lot of of music. Um, you know, during the day and after school and stuff. You know. Yeah. And and you're playing gigs that you said at the Mexican restaurant, you're starting to get more gigs. When mm-hmm. does it become like, you know, uh, you need to start thinking about how to actually make a living like or make maybe make the decision to move to Nashville? When do you start having those those thoughts? Well, it, it was funny because, like I said earlier, I, I never really I didn't have a plan. I mean, I, you know, I what nobody in my family was telling me that I needed to do anything they definitely weren't telling me I needed to go to college or get a real job. They, they saw that I had a, like a little, little knack for music and they were just letting me run with it, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to be as supportive and were as supportive as they possibly could, which, you know, I mean, I owe everything to them. They're great, great, great family, great parents. But, and so what I, what I always say is as my bills started coming in, like what are the, your first bills when you're a teenager, like yeah. maybe your car insurance, Yep. Car payment, you know, stuff like that. As those bills started coming in, my my work was increasing at the same time. So when it was time to pay rent for the first time, I was I was making enough to where I could do it. I started playing on the Gulf Coast down there um, uh, with a couple different guys. Uh, One of them had a real tight connection to Nashville that brought me here for the first time in the late 90s to do some records, met a bunch of people then. And then um, but, you know, back then we were working seven nights a week and twice on Sunday. I mean, there was one, one, one stretch of time down there where I did, I, I did like 36 gigs in 25 days or something. We were just, and I, and I'd go home, I'd go home at, at you know, 17 or 18 years old and stuff a lot of cash in my sock drawer. Mm-hmm. And, and that was it, you know? And so I moved to Nashville in 2002. Okay. Same year I moved to LA. Exactly. Okay. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was it. So then I started playing downtown. I went down and, and hung out in the doorway and, and annoyed the, those guys every every weekend for a, a month or two until Don finally cracked and said, okay, come come sit in on Sunday. They never let anybody sit in. And and so I did. And then Johnny was leaving. And I, he said, man, you can have this gig if you want. Everybody in Nashville has always said the same thing to me. You can have this gig if you want it. <laughs> it was never It was never like, hey, we'd love to have you play with us. It was like, Hey, the gig's yours if you want it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Man, well, it's funny. You're, you're describing playing that many days in a week and that many days in a row. I think they ask you, that's the other part that gets overlooked now because, number one, it's not available to most kids coming up to gig as much as we did at such a young age when everything makes such a big difference. You're growing leaps and bounds literally by the week, you know. And people ask me all the time, like, where do you get, you know, the stamina or all the vocabulary to solo for two, two hours a night or three hours a night? That's yeah. directly where it comes from. All those gigs. Yeah, 100%. It's had to be the same for you, right? hundred percent. And, 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 you know, trying gear and trying guitars and trying amps and going to your local music store and, 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 you know, doing all the things that, I mean, I'm, I'm not a gear guy really at all. Now I'm, I'm kind of, you know, just, I'm the worst at that stuff, but you know, back then you're just trying stuff. You're and you are, you're playing, you know, four hours a night, you know, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or, or all week long. And, and, um, yeah, you're just trying stuff, you know, you're, you're, you're working out stuff at home, hopefully, and, 
and then I would I would always try I would always try to learn stuff. I, I do remember this actually. Back then, I would always try to learn something. Like if I was you know checking out the Danny Gatton video or something, I'd try to learn something that I could use that night at the oh, game. Yeah. Dude, a hundred percent. All always. It was always how quick can I get this on stage? Because right. the, the quicker I played it on stage, then it became a, an actual thing in my in my toolbox right, right. away. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't, and I still don't do this to this day. I, I should, but it wasn't sitting down and, and, and learning an entire West Montgomery solo or something right. like that. It was, it was. Hey, man, you know, I didn't want to overwhelm myself. If I could pick, you know, one little cool idea that I liked the most out of something, I would, I would put that in my toolbox, you know. But by doing that, you were learning the, the reason behind the lick as opposed to just transcribing somebody's solo. I always thought, like, when you, when you took a lick and, you know, and, and somebody plays something like whatever and lands those flat fifths all the time, it's, right. it, it wasn't the lick that I stole. It was the idea of, oh, I'm going to highlight the fuck out of that flatted fifth, you know, right. and, and now that's a new thing. It's a sound that I can hear and draw on any time, and that was the way I approached everything when i was stealing you know <laughs> totally yeah, yeah and the, other, the other thing that was that was interesting and that i was really fortunate to have was uh the florabama lounge down there literally on half the club was in florida half was in alabama they had a thing down there uh and they still do it i think it's it's in it's every november for about 13 or 14 days and it's called the frank brown international songwriter festival uh -huh. and so uh and that was my like vein to guys in Nashville. So I was this kid down there in my hometown. My dad would take me out to the Bama. I was meeting, getting to know everybody and blues bands and then the songwriter guys and, you know, all the kind of stuff in between. And so uh, it was a cool place because they had music, you know, on three different stages from, it was kind of like the Broadway thing, music every day, all day long, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so you could go out there any, any time, and, and hear music and so and it was a classic thing you know you had your 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 hot shot local blues guy yeah. and then uh you know your your guys that you would they'd show me some ropes and stuff tell me not to drink too much and send me on my way and so uh you know but but the frank brown song we had all these guys coming down to from nashville like hank cochran red lane mickey newberry uh gove scrivener carl jackson i mean all these like really really heavy duty songwriters legends legends you know and we'd end up at the beach house after you know till seven eight o'clock in the morning watching the sun come up and i'd be at the table you know with these guys and i'd be playing my mandolin and stuff just kind of sitting in and learning the ropes and these guys instilled in in me and scared the death you know me to death they they said look man you know you're playing nice but but you know don't play on the vocals when we're singing don't play anything learn to play in between the vocals. And that was such a, a Nashville thing. And when you get to Nashville, it's such a song town that you're just, after being here for so long, that those things are just in your, they become part of you and they're in your blood. I mean, you, it's, it's so much about the song. And man, when you hear people playing in, in other places, and I'm not talking about LA or New York where there's, you know, amazing musicians, but you know, you, you go to, if you're on the road and you stumble into a place and you're hearing a local band, you just realize that, man, we've, there's a whole different way that that is instilled in you in these places where you're playing songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that was it, a good lesson to learn. That's uh, yeah. I mean, just play around the vocals can carry you far. <laughs> right. 
right, yeah. right, right. Learn how to support, you know? I mean, so yeah. many guys forget it, it's a job, too. Like, yeah, you want to be the baddest. You want to be, you know, special. But most mm-hmm. of the time you're doing a job where you're supporting somebody or you're backing somebody up. And, yeah, and I mean, what, the, what they miss is if you're doing that and you're really good at it, then you are special and you are a badass, you know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> also, did, did you ever toss any mullets at the Floribama? You know, I only did that about one – I think maybe one time I actually threw a mullet. <laughs> God, man, what a what a crazy place to grow up. But, man, so throwing it to you for a second, you're, you're also from Florida, but you're from real Florida. I'm from, like, South Alabama, Florida. <laughs> well, I'm from – I don't know if I'm from real Florida either. I'm from South, South Florida, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. Oh, wow, it's like, that's the thing. It's like the middle of Florida is the most Florida, Florida, I guess. When everybody makes the Florida jokes, it's, it's all – the, the long part, you know, but yeah, yeah. I, I grew up down in South Florida and, uh, I moved to LA in 2002. Yeah. Wow. And you've been out there ever since. Yeah. So 18 years out here in LA, wow. same, same for you. I was 22 when I moved out here. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, you know, I keep telling people 20 years, but I, but I, re- I need to realize it's only 18. <laughs> yeah. Dude. So, so the, okay. You're in Nashville. You're playing with Don. You're starting to get called for sessions, I'm assuming, and doing cool stuff during the day. When did you feel like, you know, you had found your, your footing there and you were, you were a part of the scene, you were a real working musician? Well, I'll say this without – hopefully this doesn't sound, you know, I'm, you know, arrogant or anything, but I will say that if, if, you, if you play in Don's band – and back then Broadway was different. I mean, it was – we all knew each other down there. It wasn't like it is today. It's literally – you know, Hillbilly Hollywood, Nash yeah. Vegas now. I mean, it's crazy down there. And nobody knows each other, and they're all young and playing 80s rock and stuff like that. But yeah. back then, it was like you could go into, you know, nine out of ten bars down there and hear pedal steel, fiddle, great country music, you know? And so if you played with Don and you were the guitar player, you were you were instantly like the new dude on the street, the gunslinger, and you're like mm-hmm. instant street cred. And the word spread, and it was just the best – thing that could have ever happened to me here and so um i will say the thing that 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 i would have changed if i could anything was that the thing about playing with don for four years here was i kind of got pigeonholed as a country guitar player which we we don't want to be none of us want to be pigeonholed because as as musicians we want to feel like we can do everything really good the reality is, is that's not true um you know I can't do everything great. And you don't realize that until you get a little older and you can tell the difference between, okay, I might be able to fake a little jazz, but you go hear a real jazz player and it's a totally different ball game. And so, uh, you know, we can, you know, I can cop the flavor of a couple things, but you know, I'm not going to be able to do certain things as good as other people and vice versa. That's why we're all able to work. But other than that, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, my chops were the best that they've probably ever been as far as, you know, technical, physical ability back then. Cause we played four hours a night, uh, four nights a week, you know, without a break. We, I didn't leave the bandstand for four hours. And so, um, it was just, and some of those tempos were just blazing, you know, talk about building stamina, you know, that's that's, stamina. Yeah. yeah, and luckily I, I I was ready for that gig because down on the Gulf Coast we had a band that we were playing, you know, some blues and swing and jazz country kind of stuff, train beats and stuff, and we were playing four hours a night down there too. And and outside in August on the Gulf Coast, 
which really, really will, will make you strong, you know? So I was ready for the gig pretty much, and but I really learned how to hone in on playing country music on that gig, shuffles mm-hmm. and different stuff, really, you know, really kind of getting into that, which I love real, I still love real country music. I mean, I don't necessarily love the the redneck kind of element that, that kind of is always there with it, but but I do love like great old country shuffles and, and man, oh, yeah. some, of that, some of that stuff just has a lot of, so to me, some of that stuff is like listening to some great old blues, you know? Absolutely. A hundred percent, especially going back to the oldest country stuff. There's direct parallels between so much of that stuff, you know, right. it's just who was writing it and who was singing it, but they, right. they had a lot of shared experiences, mostly in struggle, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, totally. 100%. When you listen to some of those uh, early like swinging doors and stuff like that from Merle Haggard, uh, Ralph Mooney and and those guys, they're playing the blues. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And yeah. the, listen to Jimmy Rogers and stuff right. like that. It's like, come on, you know. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, right it's there. Unbelievable, dude. Yeah. So, so that was that was kind of the springboard was the Don gig, and then it, during that time, uh, the thing that was cool about Don was, you know, he knew I was new to town and. And he liked me because he knew I liked the blues. He's from from Tyler, Texas. He's a blues guy at heart. Right. And so the, when I sat in with those guys, I brought like a hollow body guitar. I didn't even bring a Telecaster. Well, he liked that. And so, um, but so he would let me if I ever started touring with like I started touring with Patty Loveless, and then when that ended, I started playing with Jerry Douglas. Well, I was still playing with Don during that that time. So he would always let me. If I went out of town for a couple of weeks, when I got back, he'd always let me come back down to Roberts and, and play. Right. It was unusual for him because he was kind of a he was a kind of a stickler for for that kind of stuff. But anyway, everything started kind of ramping ramping up from there, you know. And when you got the Jerry Douglas gig, I'm assuming that was super exciting because you'd probably listen to him all your childhood there. I knowing the stuff that you came up listening to. What, what was that like the first time you sat down and played with him? It, it was funny because when when I was listening to records with my uncle, uh, every time we it became a joke in the in the in the household because uh, every time we heard the Dobro, we'd just go, "Oh, I wonder who that is," because it's always <laughs> scary, you know. Yeah, of course. So anyway, so I'll never forget where I was. I was down at Todd Sharp, who's a great friend and a great yeah. musician and writer and everything in his own right, and a great amp builder and our our number one amp tech here in town. I was down in Franklin at his old amp shop at his house in his garage. And uh, I was getting something done and, and the phone rings and I didn't recognize the number and I'm the opposite of everybody else. I always answer the numbers I don't recognize because I figure it's some random new work or something. That's a gig. Yeah. Same. I'm the same. It's always a gig. Yeah. Right. It's always a gig, something new. Right. So, so I pick up the phone and and he goes, Hey, this is, Hey, is this Guthrie? I said, yeah. He goes, this is Jerry Douglas. I said, Hey, wow. I said, how are you doing, man? He goes, well, um, I got your number from Sam Bush. We had done a festival for, for t- together, and Sam had – I've known Sam since I was six or seven years old because my dad promoted New Grass Revival down to Pensacola a couple times because they would never tour in that area, and we were big fans. And so uh, so anyway, Jerry's on the other end of the phone, and he goes, hey, w- would you be interested in playing some guitar with me in my band? And I said, absolutely. And so he goes, okay. He goes, look, I'm going to send you some songs you know, learn a few of these tunes and then we'll get you over to the, to the house, to the studio. And we'll, we'll do a little rehearsal slash audition, whatever you want to call it. And I, man, I was just like, I, I, you know, another life changer, you know, that this is the thing about now, of course I was unbelievably knocked out by this, you know I mean? Yeah. One of my all time heroes, you know, and, 
And so I ended up getting the gig. He, had, he ends up saying, hey, this gig's yours if you want it. You know, that's like I said. <laughs> right. So I was blown away, and, and we ended up going out and doing a bunch of crazy stuff, as anyone can imagine. I mean, it was, it was awesome, you know. And I learned a lot from Jerry. The thing I learned from Jerry was when he would play with Allison Krauss and some of these, like, just if you haven't heard Jerry, you know, he's got a huge catalog of his own records that are amazing, but he's also – backed up uh, Allison Krauss for a long time. And you can hear some of the most, I don't know if anybody on the planet can back up a singer the way Jerry can. Yeah, It's so toneful and so amazing. And it's just so perfect. It'll put chills on your arms. But, uh, the, but when we were with his band, that was his opportunity to stretch out and push himself. And so mm -hmm. the thing I learned about Jerry is when you're in that situation of your own band and you're playing some music, that's going to push you a little bit, it's different than playing with Patty where I'm backing up a vocalist or, or something like that. You, that's a lesson in restraint and taste. And then the other thing is your opportunity to kind of to get the chance to blow and push yourself. But what I learned from Jerry over all those years was it's okay to step out and take some chances. And if you make a mistake, nobody's going to get hurt, you know? Yeah. Well, that's an important point. I mean, you know, the more you're pushing yourself, it's okay. I mean, and, and failure, whatever, and not even, we're not talking about life or death, but you make a mistake. There's no greater motivator. Cause if you fuck something up one time, at least me, I know that will never happen again. That mistake will never happen again. You know? Right. Right. Yes. It, and we want to go, we want to go hear somebody. I, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way. We, if we go hear one of our, one of our heroes, we want to hear, we want to hear them stepping out and pushing themselves and, and not playing it safe, you know, playing it safe is for backing up the singer, you know? Yep. Yeah. You want to hear somebody going for it, yeah. you know, not dangerously, but at least like putting their all into it and following what they're hearing. You know, that's what improvisation right. is all about. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the 10 questions. All right. All right. So here's the 10 questions I've been asking everybody. Uh, you could play if you want or not play whatever. It's up to you. Number one, when you started learning and playing, what was the first thing that when you learned it, like a, it could be a lick, a, a song, whatever, but when you figured it out, you got that feeling of like, oh my God, I did it. And it, it set that hook like forever. Like you can't believe you learned this and it's the greatest thing ever. You know, it was probably, um, I'm actually going to grab my acoustic guitar here. All right. It was probably uh, something that I learned off one of the Tony Rice videos because that was like, you know, back as a kid, being a bluegrass player, it was like, man, if you could, if you could pull off something like, like one of his licks, you were, you were like the, like the cool kid at the campfire, you know? And so, <laughs> so let's see. Okay, I'm pretty in tune. So it's probably something like, uh, his famous lick is kind of like, um, you know, uh, uh. So some of those licks that I finally figured out, you know, Church Street Blues. Uh, let's see. Like the first, those first couple licks were in G, and then this is in D. It was like. Uh, uh, Just 
just so I don't, I'm not sure of any specific lick, but but it was that some of those you know licks and kind of that vocabulary that I've I finally started figuring some stuff out note for note, and I, I could I could make it sound like I was actually playing over the right chord, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's such a fun style. I could see like the second you like nail one of those things with an open string in it, it's just mm -hmm. like as a kid, you're like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So then part and parcel to that is what is the first solo that you ever learned note for note? Oh God, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, probably, or, probably, or maybe just the one that stands out the most that you, you learned that solo note for note. You had to learn it, you know, it made an impression. Oh man. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, cause I didn't do, I didn't do a whole lot of that back then, but um, it was probably something in that, in the bluegrass vein, you know, yeah. uh, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have a more definitive answer for you. No, everybody's got a different uh -oh. thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny for me. It was like, I don't know if it was BB King. It was probably live at the Regal, but also one that I vividly remember learning note for note as a little kid was ACDC. You shook me all night long. Like, I don't know oh, why, wow. but I learned that solo note for note, you know, when I was probably eight years old or something like that. Like, yeah. You know, Blue, so the blue to answer that without totally flaking out on that question in the bluegrass world it's all about learning these fiddle tunes and stuff mm -hmm. so i probably learned a lot of those before i learned a, 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 a specific solo uh -huh. and then one one solo i did learn when i was younger was we had this guy down there that turned me on to the jump blues stuff and i did learn uh hollywood fats rock this house <laughs> yeah yeah and so but that was so long ago man i'd have to go relearn that solo but that was one of them for sure that's cool that someone hipped you to Hollywood Fats. That means that guy knew what he was talking about. Yeah, he did. He was a harmonica player down there that was a painter on this. You know, he was a painter and just a crazy dude. But he he did turn me on to all those guys who I would have never known about until probably I moved up here, you know. Yeah. yeah. So for all you who don't know Hollywood Fats, go look him up. West Coast swing blues guitar player legend. Yeah, man. Hollywood Fats and the Blue Flames. Uh, all right. Uh What's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Is there something that your hands just go there automatically? I know I've got a little thing like that. Is there something you've got? Or like when you're trying out a guitar, what do you play so you can hear it? It's your, you know, you're comfortable. Okay, it's funny you say that. So what I'm trying to do now is not do that. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to not go where my hands just want to go automatically. But of course... They do. And, and if I'm playing, uh, if I'm trying a guitar out, if I'm, if I'm trying an acoustic guitar out in the store, I'll usually from coming from so much bluegrass, you know, I'll usually play like a big G chord yeah. and then I'll play like a drop D chord. And then I might play something up the neck, like an open E chord to make sure the guitar is intonating properly. Um, but on, on the electric, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. Um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get a, away from playing, you know, licks as much as, you know, and that sounds so stupid because that's really what we're all trying to do. But I really have been trying to make a conscious effort of, of playing just kind of what I'm feeling at the moment, you know? Yep. yep. And a lot of times lately it's been, you know, I mean, it changes every day. I think we all wake up every day kind of wanting to hear something, something different. It might be might one day we might want to hear some songs and, the other day we might want to hear somebody like Schofield or Osnoy or, yeah, yeah. or somebody just kind of, you know, really 
kind of challenging our ear a little bit, you know. But I'll tell you, I have been digging playing out of the key of B a lot because we get all the we get all these open strings. something that has some feeling to it you know nice nice well then that leads to this question maybe it's b then right now but what key or style or song do you hear in your head all day like do you have a narration when i'm walking around when i'm cooking even when i'm talking to you i'm normally hearing a shuffle in my head and i'm hearing something swing and i'm hearing somebody go i can't help it i've got this improv that's going in my head 24 hours a day is there stuff like that that comes and goes in your head all the time yeah that's another funny thing man this is really weird but but i i'm gonna be honest with you of all the music that i could get stuck in my head i get the worst songs on the planet stuck in my head where i'll hear I'll be in the shower or something and I'll get like, I mean, just the worst stuff that's ever been recorded. And for some reason I'll, I'll think of it. And I'm like, why of all the stuff in the world, why is that song coming up? Huh. It, it's really weird, man. I don't know what it is, but it, it, it happens. <laughs> you mean like the Pina Colada song or afternoon delight or something? What are we talking here? <laughs> I mean, stuff like, like, like that. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know. It's really crazy, but I don't know. I don't. I don't have stuff running through my head all the time. Mainly, I'm just. I'm normally what's going through my head is like, uh, you know, the things that I need to get done that day that I'm not getting done, or me telling myself I need to go spend five hours playing the guitar so I don't make a bunch of mistakes like I just did. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Okay. All right. But B yeah. is a fun key. I like B and F sharp a lot. You know. Yeah, I like F sharp with that open E for the for the flat seven. I love that. Yeah. I like that stuff. I like um, uh, drop D. I like drop D a lot. You know. Yeah. Nice. I don't like the flat keys. I, I don't. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good with uh, E flat, A flat. See, B flat is the key that I'm hearing in my head all the time. But I think that's because I listened to so much Charlie Parker in my life that I it was just built into my head. I don't know why. You know? Yeah, that's good. B flat's not as bad as A flat and E flat and, and those other ones, man. I, I, you know, it's funny. I did a, a true fire thing recently, a lesson, and it was like for a group of players. And I purposely made the lesson in A flat because I knew it was going to be wow. all guys who never play in flat keys ever. And yeah. they, they were like, can we just do the lesson in A? And I was like, no, no, like there's no difference. Just play. play <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, all right, when when did you feel like you started to find your voice on the guitar? Was there a moment where you figured something out or kind of something clicked and you realized, oh, I should go further down this path because this sounds like me. I'm starting to find something here. Yeah, um, man, that's another hard question. Uh, you know, um, 
I think when uh, I think when I stopped trying so hard, you know, yeah, I think that makes when sense. I, I think when I just realized, like, look, man, you know, if you're finally at the point where you kind of know what to play on the song that you're given to play on, and you can kind of discern whether, you know, just being tasteful and knowing, like, okay, this is a R and B song. You know, I'm gonna really enjoy playing something that fits this song. And, you know, it's going to have our voice in there somewhere, but, you know, we still have to kind of play to the song. I'm not going to play a bunch of steel guitar licks on an R&B song unless for some reason it might be appropriate in a one, in one little spot or something. And so I kind of, like you, man, kind of just, you know, embraced being influenced by a bunch of different kinds of music. And I think that's what it is. I always tell students, like, look, if you can – if you can listen to as much music as you can and try to, you know, try to learn the things that you like from, from that music, don't go out and learn a bunch of music you don't like because somebody told you you had to, yeah. you know, and like as guitar players, we're all going to agree on like a Mount Rushmore of guys that were sure. influential. Like if it's, you know, it could be BB King, Jimi Hendrix, uh, uh, Robert, uh, well, who's the guy from Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. Yeah. You know, like, you know, whatever your Mount Rushmore of guys is, chances are there's a huge percentage of us uh, guitar players, not, I'm probably the worst of them because I didn't learn any of those cover songs early on. But, but you know, like, we're going to have guys we agree on, David Gilmore, Mark Knopfler, sure. you know, pinnacle guys. And then as your family tree of influences gets more and more diverse for all of us individually, that's when your true voice can kind of come out, I think, because is that – as those stems grow down here to all these different things, like, you know, maybe you get into some real specific country music or steel guitar or fiddle or Cuban music where you're listening to the trace or you're learning some piano stuff or, uh, you know, different influences from different music and different African stuff, whatever Brazilian you get into, uh, the blues, you know, all these things start trickling down. Well, then we might start disagreeing on stuff that you like or don't like. And that's what kind of separates us all as individuals. If we all just learn Stevie Ray Vaughan solos, then we're all going to sound the same, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could be wrong, but that's my theory. Interesting. All right. What's, what's your biggest weakness on the guitar? Mine is uh, not quite what you were doing earlier, but it's an acoustic guitar related. It's like playing finger picked stuff, intricate acoustic guitar parts like on a session under a magnifying glass that's kryptonite to me what that's, what's yours that's so hard to do um mine is i'll say this mine is is um uh theory and and this kind of relates to theory but but knowing every note on the fingerboard i don't really? know i don't know every note on the on the fingerboard i mean I, I could find out what they are if i if i concentrated but if you just pointed to that note i don't know what that is right off the bat you know? Okay. okay. <laughs> Interesting. See, to me, it's not holding you back, you know? So it's like, who cares? <laughs> that's one, that's one of, of a long list. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, but man, that's such a the great thing about, you know, the individuality of this instrument. We all have things that make us us and things that we do strong and things that we don't do strong. And it's like, you learn along the way to, either be okay with it or if it really fucking bothers you, you do something about it and you right. work on that. And that's, that's what it's all, you know, either you do it or you don't. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously I don't want to play like James Taylor or Tommy Manuel or whatever. I can't. So I, yeah. I it's not that important to me. Otherwise I would have gotten better at it. You know, 
Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I, I agree too, man. We're going to excel at the things that we really want to be able to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. Who's a huge influence on you or your playing that people would be really surprised to hear? Oh, God. Um, maybe somebody like David Gilmore. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not much of a classic rock dude. I mean, that's, I just don't listen to it, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, you know, David Gilmore, Mark Knopfler, that's not a surprise. Everybody knows that, but, yeah. but I just love the way those guys play real melodically and soulful and toneful, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I wish I had a more interesting answer. Um, I really like, even though I can't play one single thing he's ever played, I do love John Schofield, but that's a yeah. pretty common yeah, one. Same. We all, we all like him. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah, Amazing. You know who I you know who I, I, I listen to? Uh my buddy Doug Belote, who you know, he lives in New Orleans. We spent a lot of time together while I was down there and and he hit me to a um a record uh by Lenny Stern. She's doing all this African stuff now. Mm. And there's a record that she's got out. I think it might be her latest one, but it's a it's a record she did. It's really African, heavy African influenced. And man, she plays some beautiful uh, guitar and stuff on there. Some beautiful melodies and really cool stuff. Nice. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, cool. Well, yeah, I, I can see how David Gilmore, some people wouldn't know that that would be an influence on you. I, mm-hmm. I hear it, though, and certainly I understand why. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, dude. Would you rather have a good guitar and a shitty amp, or would you rather have a great amp and a crappy guitar? Oh God, that's a really good question. So great guitar, shitty amp. Yeah, or vice versa. Man, I think I'd I think I'd rather have a great amp and a really shitty guitar. I'm with you a hundred percent, but not everybody's on that same page. It's been well because at least, at least if you're in the heat of battle, you'd be able to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's that's a great question. I know I can personally be more comfortable with a good amp and whatever guitar as opposed to you can give me the best guitar in the world and I have to play through a crate or something, I'm going to have a shitty gig. Well, to me, that would be like having a really awesome car with a a sewing machine engine in it. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You got no no horsepower. (laughs) But some guys feel the other way. They need the comfort in their hands more than they need anything else. So as long as it plays the way they need it to play, it doesn't even matter what it sounds like. I'm I'm 100% the opposite. Right. Yeah, yeah. I need that 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 nice fat clean headroom. Yep. Yeah. Oh, cool, man. All right. All right. Well, we're we're together on that one. <laughs> All right. Dude, what what keeps you motivated to keep like learning new stuff every day and to be better? I'm always curious, like, what keeps guys moving forward? Because we all know and have grown up around guys who, you know, were our heroes, you know, 20 years ago, and they sound exactly the same now. And then we all know the guys that we love who sound different every six months because you hear this work that they're putting in. What keeps you pushing like that? Because I I hear it in you all the time, dude. Every time a few months go by and I don't hear you play and then I hear you play again, you got something new. Oh man, thanks for saying that. That that makes me feel better. Uh man, you know, I will say this. So Nashville is a place where it's it's, you know, it's made up of a bunch of 
people that were the big fish in the small ponds of their little hometowns all over the world, right? And so when those guys all, you know, when their family or friends tell them, man, you're really good, you should think about moving to Nashville. Well, some of them do. And they come here, and then now they're big fish in a really big pond. Mm -hmm. And so it continues to keep raising the bar. I mean, even after being here for going on 20 years, 18 years, um, you know, I've got people here that I'll be able to learn from just, you know, in Nashville for the rest of my life. And, you know, guys like Jack Pearson and Tom Bukovac and Pat Burgesson and all these guys that I, that I, that I, they're my friends now, but I mean, I could go take a lesson from Pat that would, you know, I would be working on for the rest of my life. And so that's what does it here for me is being in this, kind of world of just you know a bunch of badass guitar players and musicians i i'm getting more where i'm getting away from just guitar and starting to just say musicians because you know we we have this thing of of the guitar is such a you know it's such our thing but but um you know just all the great musicians that live here and and when you go in to work with those guys in the studio or on a gig man you you can't let your guard down or somebody's going to come in and and man they'll 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 mess you up, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so that's what does it for me and still being excited and, and inspired about music. I still love to listen to all the old records that I've been listening to forever. And uh, I wish I knew how to find all this cool music that everybody else finds. I'm just terrible at it. I get on all these different platforms to find music and I, I just can't find it. And then I'll get in the car with somebody that's not musically inclined at all. And they've got like a playlist of all these really hip new current songs. I go, where do you find this stuff? I don't know. Yeah. But I like it all, man. You know, I, I like it all. I like some pop music, but the thing about country, the pop country stuff is if I want to hear like pop, real pop music, I'd rather hear something from, from LA or New York. That's at least trying to be what it is, you know? Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But I even get inspired by some of that stuff, you know? I do too. I mean, and for me, a lot of it, the inspiration comes more on a production side. Like it'll inspire right. me to think about things differently come up with parts differently, come up with sounds differently. Yeah. I try I try to listen to music that way in general. So if it's some music that I'm naturally not inclined to enjoy, then I will listen to it in the headspace of, you know what, let me find something that is cool about this. And it may be right. something as simple as the way the snare drum sounds or whatever. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Dude, so where do you see yourself heading in five years? Is there, is there a goal? Is there something you're trying to reach to or is it just to keep on keeping on or, or you got something in mind somewhere you want to be? God, I, man, I wish I knew, I, you know, I, and I kind of do. I mean, I, again, I, I, even now I, I still really don't have a plan for anything. I, I just try to go with what works. I mean, you know, all this education stuff I've been doing recently, which has become a big part of my income stream you know, I didn't set out to be a guitar teacher by any means. I mean, <laughs> yeah, absolutely you know, I, not. I don't, I don't dis, I don't, I don't dislike it. I enjoy doing it, um, and it's challenging. I think it's made me a better musician. I think it's, um, you know, I've, I've definitely become a better teacher. I feel like uh, in the past five or six years, but, um, but you know, like you said earlier on, was very important. It's about having five or six things going at all times to keep from getting burned out on just one of them, yep. you know? And so the pandemic has limited us to doing things in front of the t- uh, in front of a camera or, or, or our iPhone. And, 
man, I need that balance of, okay, I can do lessons and stuff for a couple days and do some artist work stuff. But then, man, I need to be able to jump out and go play a live gig or do a session or write a song or do something just to keep it all kind of going. But I'd like to keep, I'd like to keep doing what I've, what I've been doing before the pandemic, which is a little bit of everything tour, some yeah. touring with John Oates, some session stuff, you know, play a gig at Rudy's jazz club and then play at the station Inn and play some country stuff the next night or whatever. And that, that really keeps me happy and fulfilled as a, as a musician and a person. But, uh, you know, when all this stuff hopefully gets back to, you know, normal or better than normal, uh, I would just like to, I always say, I want to keep doing the same things I'm doing, but just keep them growing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's about it. I, I, one thing that I haven't done because of the financial aspects of it is I wish I would have started, um, getting out and doing some of my own music, you know, in, in little, you know, places outside of Nashville, little tours and stuff like that. I'm, I'm so far behind the eight ball on that. It's ridiculous. And at this point I would probably have to just lose money to do it, you know? Well, dude, and that's, you know, you're talking to somebody who's done it for 10 years now again, right? And it is mostly a losing proposition, but it's a labor of love. So it's like, I'm always balancing how much I'm willing to give up towards doing my thing all the time versus how do I pay my bills, you know? So yeah, it it is, it's a constant balance act. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Well, kudos to you for getting out there and doing it, man. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to be out there, you know, going to Europe, dude, I'm going all the time and playing with different musicians every time and Mm -hmm. local musicians, you know, different, you know, there's a lot of work involved. that has nothing to do with music just right. to sometimes break even, you know? So it's, right. it's gotta be because you want to do it. <laughs> That's for sure. Right. And, and these days do by doing that, some of your, you know, your, your other things that you're doing though, are, are probably since you're getting your name out there more and more by touring, you're seeing those incomes probably coming in on other aspects you know what I mean? It's kind of probably balancing out at some point. I know. Oh, they definitely started, feed each other. One hand washes the other. Absolutely. Right, right. I say a rising tide floats all boats. So yeah, yeah exactly. Hopefully, exactly. It, as long as you're invested in yourself, then right. you're doing you're doing the right thing. It may pay off in the area that you didn't think was where you wanted it to pay off, but right. it's still paying off. You know, so it's not so bad. Right. And that's the, that's the thing too, about a lot of young guys have moved to Nashville that have probably moved out because of all this stuff here with, you know, the COVID thing. But, you know, I always tell them, man, like, look, if you really want to make a living in in the music industry, uh, you know, you can't, you have to maybe start thinking a little bit more entrepreneurially. You have to think about, you know, you know, diversifying as much as you can, as, as much as you're comfortable with, and maybe even a little bit out of your comfort zone. We got to push ourselves to do some things we don't like to do. But um, that being said, you know, you have to develop some ownership in something, you know? Yeah, Yeah, you do. You have to cut, you know, that's, and that's part of being a musician anyways. It's very difficult to do this unless you're all the way into it. Right. You know, if you're doing, uh, you know, little fallback plans and have other jobs that aren't music related, then you're normally not going to succeed at doing this because it takes every ounce of effort you have just yeah. to, to make it work in any way when you do right. this. Yeah. yeah somebody, somebody said the other day, and I might even save the little quote or whatever, but it, it said, uh, music is not a hobby. Coin collecting is a hobby. This is our life, you know? A hundred percent. 
hundred percent. And you get that, you know, we've all been in that situation at the store when you meet a friend of a friend, they say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a guitar player. Oh yeah. But what's your job? <laughs> you know, or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. It's so funny how it's become such a stereotype when, I mean, there's a lot of people that are doing really well, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But again, like you said, you know, I never thought I'd be making most of my living from instructional material and gear that I put my name on and records mm -hmm. that I produce and so many things that have nothing to do with my actual music. Now they're yeah. related to it and people maybe buy them because they know my music or whatever, but the, the actual things that are, the money's coming in have none of my music involved in them in any way. So it's like, it, it's a weird thing, you know, it's very weird. Yeah. I think, I think guys like us though, man, we're, we're in it for the right reasons and we haven't, we've always kind of, I've always kind of stuck to my guns as far as music that I wanted to play and music I didn't want to play. And man, that, you know, if, if, if you come to a place like Nashville or LA and you start chasing the guy that's the most successful and you try to sound like him and, and oh, yeah. you talked about that earlier, you know, you, you're buying all the same gear this guy has. It's like, no, that guy's already doing that guy better than anybody's ever going to do it. If you just stick to your guns, you're going to end up in the right place. But if you start chasing a bunch of stuff, for the yep. wrong reasons, you're gonna you're gonna end up high and dry at some point. You know, you find that out quick. I'm sure you did when you got there. When I got here and I became friends with Landau, and it was like you know I started doing sessions. I realized real quick I was never gonna be Michael Landau or yeah. you know any of those guys. And it was better for me to almost go more all in on what makes me me because right. at least those calls were gratifying. The ones that I was getting for that. And you know what? When you did that. Then the call, the amount of calls start to go up anyways, because you start right. to get a reputation for that. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much. And for members, we're going to uh, have a little extra video where called Turn 2. If you've seen any other ones, you'll know it, where we're going to show you two licks. But, dude, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And like I said, oh, dude, you're, you're a huge inspiration, man. I, I love your playing. Well, man, uh, same to you, Josh. I really appreciate it, and uh, and and some point I that some point I'll have to get on here and redeem myself from all those mistakes I made earlier. But ah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I love I love this stuff, especially during these times. Yeah, man. And and in the description there'll be links to all things Guthrie Trap. So please, if you're not familiar, go pick up some music. Go to Guthrie's YouTube channel. Uh, take a lesson. Do anything you can because this dude is fantastic. All right, and for members, hang on. We'll be right back. All right. <laughs>